When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into a new edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am Georgia Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty, Brian Stone, joined once again by Georgia State writer Zeke Palermo. Zeke, a lot of games this past week. Week one of college football, finally in the books. Do you have an overall take before we start breaking down these games individually? Um, I mean, college football's back, right? As we'll talk about the UNC App State game, uh, not in the Sun Belt, LSU, FSU. College football is back. It was a great weekend, very exciting. Lots of games that we're going to talk about that were, um, if they weren't super close, I think every game this past weekend within the Sun Belt, you can take something good away from each game. Uh, so I'm excited yeah. to start to break those down. Yeah. Uh, I I still can't get over, uh, for people who don't realize we're recording this on Monday night, um, mm-hmm. I still can't get over the, the end of the LSU-FSU game. It was just, it was a comedy of errors at a certain point. And... It, it was fun to watch, but I'm sure as a coach, both coaches just had to be pulling their hair out in the final two minutes of that game. Um, but yeah, let's get into the Sunbelt games. Uh, starting off Friday night, uh, September 2nd, the biggest uh, upset that we saw in the Sunbelt uh, this this past week. Old Dominion goes in, or welcomes in Virginia Tech and upsets the Hokies 20-17. to um, interesting game overall. Uh, Old Dominion scored in a lot of weird ways, except for the game-winning touchdown at the very end. I mean, you had, what, three field goals and a fumble return for a touchdown mm-hmm. uh, for Old Dominion. And, uh, boy, Virginia Tech, Grant Wells, four interceptions is just not going to get yep. it done against anybody. Um, but what was kind of your overall takeaways from this one? Uh, I think it was a big win. I think obviously because it was the uh, the early game, you know, before Saturday, um, it had a lot of eyes on that otherwise wouldn't be watching Old Dominion take on Virginia Tech. Uh, so yep. it was a big uh, it was a big statement win, I guess, across the Sun Belt, saying, "Hey, we're here." But as you mentioned, Grant Wells four picks. You can never if he doesn't throw those four interceptions. I don't think Old Dominion wins this game. Um, I thought Old Dominion's offense was. Uh, by and large, fairly inefficient. Their leading yep. rusher only had 56 yards on 19 carries. Uh, quarterback Hayden Wolf only completed 40% of his passes. Um, so despite the win, I think Old Dominion uh, didn't play a great game of football. Virginia Tech, or specifically Grant Wells, just played a worse game. Yeah, this is this is the classic snatching defeat from the jaws of victory uh, by by Grant Wells and, the, and Virginia Tech. Um, I mean, I'm looking at ESPN's win probability sheet right now. 
uh, with 23 seconds left in the game, Grant Wells threw an incomplete pass uh, that at that point had the Hokies at 99.9% to win the Mm -hmm. game. Now, why they were still throwing the football with 23 seconds to go (laughs) is beyond me. That's above my pay grade, I guess. Uh, I think it's really easy to second guess those late game decisions that took place, um, especially because Wells, you know, ended up inevitably throwing his fourth pick of the game that really turned it around and gave Old Dominion a chance. Uh, Blake Watson punched it in with no time remaining to to win the game twenty to seventeen for the Monarchs uh, in their first Sun Belt game. But yeah, like you said, I just it. I'm going to preface this by saying it's great that Old Dominion won. However, yeah. if they take this performance into every game, and they they probably won't, but if they take this offensive performance into every game this season, there's not going to be a lot of teams that they're going to force four picks and you know return fumbles for touchdowns and things like that. Like This isn't going to happen every week. Right. So, again, you can go ahead and savor this win, say it was a great win because it definitely was what they did on Friday is not sustainable long-term in my opinion. I I completely agree with you. I think a lot of people would say that when you go back and look at the stats, it's like, it's hard to be like, yeah, you can complete 40% of your passes and still win a game. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, So again, great win for old dominion. Good win for the Sunbelt. Congratulations. Welcome to the Sunbelt old dominion. Um, (laughs) And yeah, they pick up the win and and move to one and oh on the season. You know, going one and zero each week is the only thing you can kind of ask for. Uh, so we're jumping into the Saturday slate of games here. Um, let's start with Ole Miss versus Troy. Ole Miss wins twenty eight to ten. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me—I I mean, obviously Ole Miss was going to win this game. They're just—they're an SEC school, and Troy is uh, a Sun Belt school that's looking to kind of recover from the Chip Lindsey era. But uh, I think the most surprising thing to me is Gunnar Watson outplayed USC transfer Jackson Dart in this one. Um, I know Troy likes to throw the ball way more uh, probably than, than Ole Miss would like to on a, on a day-to-day or a game-to-game basis. But yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed by how Troy played overall. I mean, I mean, Ole Miss, it kind of seemed like was struggling, especially early in this game. Um, so yeah, what was your kind of take on it? Um, this is, this score reflects what you and I had discussed over the past couple of weeks about what this Troy team is. They hold Old Miss to only 28, which I think is a very good, uh, you know, that's a great success for any team, right? I think Old Miss is one of the more, um, high ceiling offenses across the NCAA. So to have held them to only 28 is, uh, greatly impressive. Uh, but that, uh, offense just couldn't get anything moving, right? Um, as you mentioned, Gunnar Watson played pretty well, but he passed the ball 47 times. So despite, yeah, yeah he threw for 275 yards, but that's because he threw the ball almost 50 times. I, I was unimpressed as a team. They averaged, uh, under two yards per carry, which, uh, scares me a ton. That's not sustainable. Um, and I believe Troy fumbled the ball or I'm sorry, Ole Miss fumbled the ball four times, which like we just talked about with. Um, Grant Wells throwing four picks. That's not going to happen every week. Uh, no, I, I, I get that. that. I get that. And the, this this comes back to the the question that I had about, and and maybe Summerall 
figures it out long term. I mean, this is just a one game sample. It's still a small sample size, but this was kind of the question I had about hiring a defensive guy was the defense wasn't what needed fixing, mm-hmm. you know? Chip yeah. Lindsay was supposed to be an offensive mind who Coach Turner mouths on. And just a, like a, a quick side tangent, I meant to mention this when we were pre- previewing the West. I'm always skeptical when you bring in like an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator who is underneath a head coach that has the same specialty. Because it because it it raises the question to me, what are those guys doing? Because if they're not calling plays, what is their mm-hmm. responsibility? Like at at Auburn, what was Chip Lindsay's actual responsibility? Because from all everything I heard, Gus Malzahn called all the plays at Auburn. So mm-hmm. I didn't understand the hire when it happened. Um but I mean, again, they, they hired a defensive head coach. Their defense is still good. They have they have trouble moving the football. It seems like yeah. a, it seems like a weird fit, but maybe he, maybe he gets it figured out long term. I don't know. We'll have to see. Like I said, this is a one game sample. They they did play the number twenty one team in the country. Like I said, they made Jackson Dart look pretty pedestrian. You know, as bad as you said, or as inefficient, I guess, as Gunnar Watson was. I mean, Jackson Dart. They're not going to win too many games in the in the West. If he's throwing for 154 yards per game, yeah. they're just not doing it. <laughs> so, credit to Troy's defense. Offense still needs a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, so getting into what I think you and I would both agree was the game of the weekend. App State falls to North Carolina, 63-61. Um, I have a takeaway on this game. But before I get to that, give me your sort of overall thoughts and sort of your reaction to this. Um, I mean, this was, between the two teams, 124 points. That's just absurd. Um, But that's what these two teams are built for, is scoring 40, 50-plus points a game and allowing their opponent to match them step for step and just hope that you have more firepower. Um, Anyone that watches this game will uh, remember – or even just the highlights, App State should have taken this game to overtime, but they failed two two-point conversions. Um, they ran uh, the same Chase, play twice. Yeah, and both times didn't work. The first time, uh, Chase Bryce um, maybe slightly overthrew a ball, and the second time I just don't think anyone got open. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one big takeaway for me was uh, Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples split carries almost exactly. It was 14 and 13 respectively. Uh, we talked about, um, but despite this, rather, Noel had almost double the yards. Uh, and I know earlier we were talking about how they're going to be one of the stronger tandems in the Sun Belt uh, in terms of a backfield pair. Um, yeah. But I think Noel made a case for himself being the, the top back in that offense. No, I agree. Noel was electric in this one. Obviously, he had, you know, the long touchdown run. Mm-hmm. Um the takeaway that I had in this game was, and this is part of my, and I know that they cut it on late and, and pulled within, you know, really close of, of making this, you know, a tie game and going to overtime with North Carolina. App and Chase Bryce, you can put this on Sean Clark or whoever you want. They just fell asleep in like the second and third quarter. Mm. Um, excuse me. Um, second and third quarter, the, the tarp, 
the Tar Heels just absolutely the Tar Heels just absolutely I mean put it on them. You know, mm-hmm. they, they an app jumps out to a twenty one seven lead and then they don't score again until twelve minutes left in the in the fourth quarter. Um there was one specific series that I remember that did not make any sense to me, and I wrote it down because I wanted to mention it. There was at this around the seven minute mark of the second quarter, App State had a third and ten on roughly the the North Carolina, let's say like thirty eight or so. Okay. Um, instead of trying to throw a pass or trying to throw a screen or do something, you know, to kind of mix it up and maybe throw North Carolina off guard. Mm-hmm. Sean Clark and and Chase Bryce decide to run a quarterback draw on third and ten. Chase Bryce is not the most athletic quarterback in the world, so he gets tackled, maybe gains one yard. Let's say they trot their field goal kicker out for a fifty-one yarder, and then he misses it, pulling up short. I don't blame the kicker. I'm just like, what is that play call in that situation? Like, why are you doing that? Um, you don't have it. Like I said, he's he's not athletic. Like he, he's not getting you ten yards. So, I don't know. It was just weird all around. Drake May, uh, North Carolina's quarterback, absolutely carved them up. What did you think of him in this game? Uh, I thought. I mean, for as well as Chase Bryce played, I think May have may have may may have played even better. Um, and I don't think that projects. Obviously, uh, North Carolina has had a a pretty potent. Um, uh, air offense, passing offense the past couple of years, going back to Sam Howell pre- in uh, the past previous years. But I don't think this projects well for App State should they play um, other Sunbelt teams with a good passing offense. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't believe they have Coastal on the schedule, but if you meet Coastal, or I'm rather, they most certainly do have Coastal on the schedule, rather. And when you meet Coastal in the uh, regular season, Grayson McCall is going to pass for 300 yards. Um, Yep. So I thought May's performance, as good as it was, uh, projects really poorly for App State. Yeah, I, I thought May was really impressive in this one. Um, obviously, Bryce looked good. Like I said, I mean, the guy threw six touchdowns. But like I said, the thing that gives me pause is, and I always like, and I, I know Twitter isn't the end-all, be-all of these types of situations, but I always like to check, search up App State when they go on, like, drought scoring like this in the second and third quarter and just see like what a Mountaineers fans think of Bryce and Clark. And like, I saw a bunch of tweets and I, and I made sure to check it because I wanted to see like, what are the most reactionary people saying about this? And a bunch of them were like, I think we're in a bad spot with Clark because he's going to win eight or nine games almost every year at app. Mm -hmm. But if he's if his teams are falling asleep for two quarters of a football game where you allow sixty three points, I, I just don't. They, people were like, I don't see a way that like you're gonna win yeah. the conference, go on, play a big bowl game, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said, credit credit to App for not getting getting down and getting right back into this game. Um, like you said, a lot of question marks now with the defense. Um, because if, if you're facing teams that can throw the football effectively, um, yeah, it's, it might be, might be tough, but yeah, like I said, I was really impressed with Drake may as a, as a freshman coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, 
great game overall. Like I said, probably game of the yeah. weekend. Ton of uh, fun. Ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, next game that wasn't a ton of fun, especially for Norf- Norfolk State, <laughs> Marshall absolutely crushes them 55-3. to three. Um, Not a ton to talk about in this except your boy Henry Columby, uh, 24 of 26, very efficient uh, with completion percentage. Um, they they found two more running backs to kind of replace the the um, the the production that was lost. Um, you know, Ethan Payne and and Callen Landborn both go f- over a hundred yards rushing. So it looks like even if you know they they lose, you know, maybe the best rusher in the Sun Belt, mm-hmm. uh, single single best rusher in the Sun Belt at the running back position, they're going to find guys who can they can just kind of plug and play. So, I mean, good win for them. Like I said, we'll we'll get deeper in the weeds once they play tougher, stiffer competition. But you know, like I said, good for good for Columbia and and getting you know some some real game experience at the quarterback yep. position. I appreciate you giving my guy uh, a little bit of a nod, so I didn't have to. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, this is against Norfolk State and. Uh, Something you got to consider, and this isn't just in the Sun Belt. This isn't just this game. This is across all of college football. When you're playing these cupcake games, you have to think about, and we won't have an answer until week four, week five, week six, how much of this is legitimate and how much is them beating up on a far poorer team. Will Payne and Laybourne be able to rush for 100 yards and two touchdowns apiece when you start to play the Sunbelt teams, when you start to play real FBS schools. I, as I've said before, I believe in Columby. I don't know if I believe in Payne and Laybourne uh, once you start to pick up the competition, but I, I think just statistically, as you mentioned, the ability to replace the hole that Ali left, um, I mean, that is just incredible how quickly they were able to find a two adequate replacements. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and... I mean, like you said, even though the uh, the step down in competition was fairly evident with them playing Norfolk, I mean, the defense allowed just 114 yards mm-hmm. uh, to the Spartans. So good sign there. They're able to run the ball. They're able to play defense. Columby is f- efficient with his attempts. I, I think I think it's a, you know, a W in more than just the win column all around. So sure. good, good game for them. Good little tune up. Uh, before they start to have to jump into some tougher competition. Um, next game on the schedule, another one we don't have to talk overly long about. South Alabama defeats Nichols 48-7. Uh, another great defensive performance. Jaguars only allow 165 total yards to Nichols. Um, you want to talk about efficiency, man. Jalen Wayne, three catches, 98 yards, two scores, and then he was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. So. Great for him. Um, what did you What did you kind of think of this this game? Uh, what I was watching in this game is probably the same thing you were was the Jalen Wayne uh, production. Yeah, he had the three catches for a ton of yards. Um, and again, like the Marshall Norfolk State game, how much of this is just you know they didn't have to pass the ball today because or during that game because they were up by so much. But mm-hmm. uh, he only saw six targets all game, which is not the volume that either of us were expecting. Um, after the par- departure of Jalen Tolbert. Um, so I th- 
I don't know if that's a vote of distrust for Wayne or if that was just a product of the matchup. Yeah, it w- it was weird when you look at the box when you look at these box scores. It, it kind of is strange. I mean, South Alabama had twelve different players uh, catch a pass, which mm-hmm. is a lot. I mean, so maybe maybe Wayne. It, you could look at it one of two ways. Wayne either got used sparingly because they didn't need him, and they were just like, "Hey, we hit two big plays. You, we can get you off the field so you can rest up," or they're just going to spread those targets that Jalen Tolbert got peppered with out among a bunch of different receivers. So you can look at it a couple of different ways. We'll have to see how it all pans out. Um, But quarterback Carter Bradley played good for the Jaguars. Um, 17 of 25, 260 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, They were able to run the ball pretty effectively with LaDamian Webb, who almost had 100 yards and two scores of his own. So, like I said, not a ton to talk about another one of these complete domination games against an FCS opponent, but good signs moving forward for for South Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, a team that did not have many good signs uh, going in their direction was Texas State, as they took a 38-14 to beating at the hands of the Nevada Wolfpack. Um, just... Uh, I'm looking at these stats. It's just absolutely brutal all around. They couldn't run the ball. Jamel Jeter had 16 yards on the ground, was their leading rusher. Um, Lane Hatcher threw the ball a ton, but it didn't seem to matter. I mean, yeah, it's just ugly all around. And this is what I was afraid of. This is why I put Texas State at the bottom of the West standings. What did you think about this? Yeah, uh, Hatcher threw the ball for context 51 times, completed only 33 passes. Um, I believe he threw two picks as well and was sacked four times. And then, as you mentioned, inability to rush the ball. Between Jamal Jeter and Calvin Hill, they had 31 total yards on the ground. Uh, There was nothing to like offensively. And then defensively, you uh, allow Nevada to score 38 points. Nevada, mind you, only scored 23 against New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Texas State really secured, at least in my eyes, and I'm guessing yours, that very early contender to be the worst team in both divisions of the Sun Belt this season. Yeah, I don't see a way that they're not going to be. I mean, they turned the ball over four times uh, between – Hatcher's two picks. Hatcher also fumbled, so he technically had three turnovers by himself. Mm-hmm. And then Lincoln Pare fumbled as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be another rough season. I wouldn't be surprised if if we don't see Spavadol out sooner than later. Um, yeah, it's it's, ba- it's bad it's times in San there. Marcos, man. It's bad times in San Marcos. That's all pretty much I can say about that. Uh Moving on down the slate, Georgia Southern uh, played Morgan State at home, uh, defeated the Bears 59-7. to um, I think the most impressed that I was in this game was with Georgia State's – or Georgia Southern's defense, rather. Georgia Southern actually allowed zero points to Morgan State's offense. Mm-hmm. The only points that Morgan State scored was on a, uh, a touch uh, – an interception return for a touchdown. Um but other than that, it was pretty much straight domination by yeah. by uh, Georgia Southern. What what sort of stood out 
for you in this one? Um, I mean, I'll let you run with this because I'm sure you watched this game a little closer than I did. But what stood out to me was Georgia Southern's, um, the Eagles' ability to attack the backfield of Morgan State, right? They only sacked the quarterback one time, but had five tackles for loss and five quarterback hurries. That is ridiculous. Uh, no matter what level you're playing, to have done made 11 big impact plays in the uh, backfield on defense, as you mentioned, is just utterly dominant. Um, and the fact that they pitched pretty much a shutout, you know, all but. Um, I, I'm not going to go ahead and um, – I don't know how much this means, as we've said before, and I'm going to sound like a broken record as I do week on week, but I don't know how much this game means. But I think Southern, especially with the uncharacteristically good passing offense from Kyle Van Treese, um, uh, they might do a little better than you and I both expected. I – yeah, so speaking to that, they they dropped a stat, I think, right at the end of the game. This was the most passing yardage Georgia Southern's had out of a quarterback since 2008 because of because of how their offense has run mm-hmm. uh, in the past. But, yeah, I mean, defense – again, I, I got to give a, a ton of credit to the defense. Defensively, they forced three turnovers, uh, three picks, uh, and – Sorry, four four turnovers, three picks, and a fumble. Uh, Van Treese was a little shaky to start the game. The whole offense was in the first first half. Um, first quarter really couldn't do much. Uh, he was just, I mean, it, it was like when they run a screen, he would throw it too wide, and a guy would have to like double back to try to grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, but some uh, something happened at halftime. They came out and looked like a completely different football team. Um, yeah, I mean, if Van Trees can carry over his second half performance throughout the rest of the season, yeah, they might be dangerous. Now, the one thing that gave me a little bit of pause was, uh, they sort of struggled to run the football, um, which is not something that I expected. I expected that to sort of carry over from last season or previous seasons, but I don't know. They, they tried to run the ball 32 times. They only averaged 4.3 yards per carry, um, I'd like to see them run the football a little bit more. I felt like they threw the ball a ton in a game that maybe they're just trying to work out some of the passing stuff, but it, it didn't feel necessary. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, overall a great win. I was really happy with what I saw from Georgia Southern secondary, which was, I think the wor- the stone worst in mm-hmm. college football last year. So there were some positive signs. However, we'll get into this in a minute. there's a huge step up in competition from week one to week two. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. Um, All right. So moving, moving on uh, middle Tennessee uh, played James Madison. And you had to, you, you force fed yourself some crow uh, on Twitter about this. James Madison absolutely drubs middle Tennessee 44 to seven. Just uh, another, it almost looked like James Madison was the FBS school that had mm-hmm. been there for years, and Middle Tennessee was the FCS school that had just moved up. So, <laughs> give me your take on this because this is another one that's just absolute domination. Yeah, I predicted the exact opposite result. I thought Middle Tennessee was going to, if not win by two scores, win by four. You know, um, so to see James Madison win, obviously good for the Sun Belt. Very happy for the Dukes. 
uh, but a personal loss on my end. I thought, um, and I when I say I thought, I think everyone will agree, Todd Santeo had an incredible game. He passed for uh, almost 300 yards, uh, 21 for 33 through the air, 21 for 33 through the air with uh, six touchdowns, and then also led both teams in rushing yards with 110, which as a quarterback is ridiculous. Um, and mind you, his longest was only 27, so it's not like he was breaking off an 80-yard rush that contributed to most of those yards. Yeah. Uh, and then just as we talked about uh, with the – uh, with Georgia Southern's defensive pressure, I thought James Madison did an equally great job. They sacked Middle Tennessee's quarterback four times. They forced 13 tackles for losses and hurried the quarterback six times. So I thought uh, James Madison, I mean, that was pretty much as comprehensive of a win as you could put together. Yeah. Um, put a pin in this one for early in the season. Things could change. However... I said this, if Rasheen Ali misses at least half the season for Marshall, don't be surprised if James Madison's the third best team in the East. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, You'll like, be eating crow on Twitter if not, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, I said this <clears throat> when we were previewing. I just said, I don't know what to expect from them. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I said, I was like, they could either be – sixth or third and i wouldn't be surprised with any 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 way either way just right. because i don't know you never know how these teams are going to translate so i sort of you know just tentatively stuck them where i stuck them yeah and they're looking a lot better than either of us really and again one game don't want to take it at two out of proportion but looked better than either of us really anticipated yeah, I thought that they were going to win this game by a touchdown or 10 points or something like that. I did not see them beating Middle Tennessee by 34, you know, or mm -hmm. 37 rather. Um, so getting into another uh, different, uh, an actually competitive game of the weekend, Coastal Carolina played Army and defeated the Black Knights 38-28. Um, this one was tight for a bit, Zeke. I mean... You know, with 5.23 left in the third quarter, Army scored a touchdown, a long throw uh, to, to take it 21-17 to take the lead over the chance. <clears throat> a good job by Coastal to to come back and just rally. Um, but, yeah, gave, gave Coastal Carolina a little bit of a scare. What did you think about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, as we talked about when we were previewing, our – Army's going to do this to teams. They're going to give good teams scares. They're going to make them play a different type of football than they typically like. Um, and to that, something that really stood out to me, Grayson McCall only passed the ball 17 times. Um, he had 12, 12 completions for those 17, and three of those were touchdowns. But I'd like to see that volume tick up for him in the coming weeks. Obviously, again, this is Army, um, so you have to play them very differently than you would other teams. Uh, but I'm curious if this is going to be a trend that we see throughout the season, um, this reliance on the running game. Uh, it was Reese White led the chance, uh, 21 carries for 103 yards, 133 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, so sometimes Jamie Chadwell does this, and I don't ever really understand it, where you have the most efficient and best quarterback in the conference, and you want to run the ball 53 times. Mm -hmm. Um 
I remember specifically them doing this against App last year. And it led to a loss because they were doing well through the air with McCall. And then they just stopped throwing the football. Like it didn't make any sense. So I think sometimes Chadwell gets in his and McCall's own way with some of his play calling and some of his tendencies, because if you, if you have, like you said, a guy who, who can throw three touchdowns on 12 completions maybe it's time to give him some volume and maybe take like some carries away from, I mean, Bryce Carpenter, the backup quarterback who got four carries. Why are you giving your backup four carries? Like Mm -hmm. it it just doesn't make any, like just weird stuff that doesn't really make any sense. Um, I think they could be way more explosive than they have, than they were. Um, But yeah, I mean, I want to see it. Like I said, sometimes he gets in his own way. It's weird. Um, but good win for them overall. Army's always a tough team, like we said in the preview to prep for. Uh, the the triple option really throws teams off because you can't totally prepare for what they're going to bring and all the looks they're going to give you. So good win for Coastal. Um, and and they kind of did what we were talking about, where they when they were down, they went up by multiple scores, and Army just couldn't answer at the end of the game. So again, good. Good win for Coastal. Um, getting into the next game of the weekend, uh, Liberty defeated Southern Miss by two points. Uh, this game went to four overtimes. Um, I'm looking at the passing game for both teams, and it was it was ugly. Uh, Charlie Brewer for Liberty broke his hand, I think, in the first quarter of this game and is going to mm-hmm. be out six weeks. So they had two other guys step in in Caden Salter and Jonathan Bennett. And if these are going to be your guys moving forward, I think it's going to be a tough season for Liberty because neither one of these guys were lighting it up. But on the flip side, Southern Miss, same thing happened. Ty Keyes started for them and threw just eight passes. Frank Gore Jr., get in the cold tub, my man, because it seems like it's going to be a, a heavy workload for you this season at the running back position. I, he touched the ball 32 times uh, on the ground. He passed. Uh, he, he counted for one-third of Southern Miss's passing attempts. He threw the ball four times, uh, only completed one. It was a 48-yard reception. Um, I, that's not sustainable. Not Passing the ball 13 times for 137 yards, and again, a third of that coming from your running back, is not how you win football games. Uh, I know they took liberty to four overtimes. That's not going to happen. Um, I think Frank Gore, he currently leads the Sun Belt in rushing by about 45 yards. Um, he's going to see a historic number of touches this season. I think just, again, one game sample size. But at this rate, he's on pace for a top 10 season all time in rushing attempts over a season. Uh, not just in the Sun Belt, but in uh, NCAA history. Um, so as you mentioned, he's going to, he's going to be banged up, you know, quite a bit this season. Hope he stays healthy, but, um, guys draft stock is going to just keep shooting up if he keeps playing like this. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to see Walter Payton, Walter Payton level touches in like 1985. If this keeps up because they can't run the ball or they can't throw the ball rather. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I know that they had a bunch of injuries at the quarterback position last year, but 
like you said, four of eight for 89 yards and two interceptions uh, for your starting quarterback is just not going to cut it against no. anybody. Uh, so the, the, Frank Gore Jr. is going to get his numbers, but I think it's going to be a rough season offensively for Southern Miss because they're going to have to try to manufacture some offense. Um, let's let's blow through some of these last uh, these two games. Uh, I kind of want to group them together because we're getting repetitive with the uh, not much to say. Louisiana beat Southeast Louisiana in a in a surprisingly low scoring game, twenty four to seven. Um, Chandler Fields looked pretty good. They tried to work in Ben Woolridge uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, they they struggled to run the football, which is surprising. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of quick hit thoughts? I mean, Johnny Lumpkin looked good at the receiver position, but I, my biggest I takeaway think- was why was it so close? Obviously, twenty four to seven is by no means a close game, but look at how Georgia Southern played, how James Madison played, how Marshall played. Why weren't they able to do that against Southeast Louisiana? Um, and I don't maybe know. Louisiana, maybe Louisiana just lost too much from last season. I, you know? If that's the case, they're going to have a hard time being as clear cut at the top of the West as you and I thought they would. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, okay, they scored 24 points. All right. Well, they scored two offensive touchdowns. One of them came off of a punt return for a score. I mean, you're not going to get that every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chandler Fields looked pretty good, but you only threw the ball 20 times. I, I don't know, man. This is a weird game. And like you said, it's it's going to be it's going to be rough for them to sit uh, easily atop of the West if if this keeps up, because that was a weird game. Yeah, I don't know. Um, So uh, we can blow through this one pretty quick too. Arkansas State beats Grambling 58-3. It's good to see Arkansas State play some defense. Um, James Blackman threw two touchdowns on on fifteen completions for twenty on twenty attempts. Uh, Arkansas State ran the ball, yeah, Shocked for three hundred thirty nine yards. Maybe they're getting a little more balanced. I think this is what kind of the doctor was asking for, or the doctor's orders, or whatever. If they, the can, if they can maintain this sort of balance obviously they rush the ball almost double the amount they pass but this ability to play balanced football um arkansas state could be a lot better than they were last year because i think that's obviously they were lacking defense but i think the inability to rush the ball makes it difficult to put away games and makes it difficult to score um when you're real tight in so i think uh having this uh johnny lang who rushed uh nearly almost 10 yards per carry uh, on 13 carries I think he might be able to uh, make this Arkansas State a little less one-dimensional. For sure. And like I said, if they can play some defense moving forward against real competition and you don't make James Blackman throw the ball 50 times like he did last year in what mm-hmm. seems like each game, um, yeah, Arkansas State can make some noise for sure. Uh, so let's let's move on to your game with the weekend. Um, Georgia State took on South Carolina – uh, fell to the Gamecocks 35-14. Uh, I'm going to kind of do like you did uh, because I didn't watch a lot of this game because Georgia Southern was playing almost simultaneously. Um, sort of just give me your overall thoughts on on Georgia State's performance. Um, so just real quick, I mean, Georgia State played a really good game of football, and what we talked about last week was they don't need to beat South Carolina. They just needed to play good football. 
And that's what yep. they did. Final score was 35-14 in the Gamecocks' favor. Uh, but South Carolina's final two touchdowns came on uh, came on blocked punts returned for uh, touchdowns. So if you can straighten those out, I think uh, that sort of special team error is maybe not easily fixed, but is fixable over the course of a season. Uh, Georgia State looked really good. Uh, something that really stood out to me was the even split of carries. Uh, Tucker Gregg, Jam Williams, Darren Granger uh, all touched the ball roughly about the same to- uh, amount of times, which is a departure from last season where Greg was really the uh, the big-time feature back in that offense, uh, which was odd because the year prior, Greg was really only the power back. Uh, so it's good to see them uh, return to form in terms of spreading out those touches a little more evenly. What I didn't like was Darren Granger's passing performance, and – Anyone in tune with the Sun Belt will know Granger is by no means an elite passer, but he went 7 for 29, 111 yards, one pick, one in, uh, one touchdown. So I um, didn't love what I saw uh, through the passing game, but I thought the defense played really well, held South Carolina to really only 21 points uh, offensively with those or uh, with the other 14 coming through, uh, coming special. through special teams. Um and I thought the run game looked really good, uh, almost as if they took over what Georgia Southern had previously with that just really, really effective rushing game. Can I? I, I just want to ask before we move on to the last game: Does it give you any con- level of concern that if Georgia State gets down like they did in this game, and Darren Granger's forced to throw the ball? Does his sort of inefficiency throwing the ball give you any concern for how the Panthers might fare this year? Oh, I mean, yeah, obviously. As we've said and we will continue to say throughout the season, if you can't pass the ball, you're not going to be able to win games from behind. That's just how football works. Uh, Granger, I think, has a tendency to uncork really long passes at very crucial times. Uh, He had a 44-yard pass to Jamari Thrash. Uh, Jam Williams had a 20-yard reception, so he's not incapable of, you know, unleashing a really pretty long ball, but his inability to pass consistently throughout a drive really scares me. There was one point from the third to fourth quarter, he had 11 straight incompletions, and um, that that you just can't win from behind uh, with that sort of quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, – it's a strange move. Okay, I have a question for you. Can yeah. You speak, can you speak to this? So correct me if I'm wrong, but the feeling I got was last year, Quad Brown was a better passer than Darren Granger. Am I wrong? Was last that- year, I thought Quad Brown was going to become Georgia State's all-time leading passer. Okay. And due what to if- personality you- issues due to a poor first couple games he lost the job to Granger do you think it would have been better long term for them to try to stick with Brown over Granger from what I understand and um, I'll concede right now they made the change very early when I started to pay attention to Georgia State football I'm still uh, compared to you I'm very new to following the Sun Belt and following Georgia State so I wasn't as in tune as I am now. And again, I'm not incredibly in tune to what's going on behind the scenes. But my understanding was that uh, Quad Brown, there was something they didn't like outside of his passing performance. I cannot say with certainty what that was. I cannot say for certainty that even happened. 
but it is my understanding that there were locker room issues, especially after a few poor performances early in the season that head coach Sean Elliott didn't like. Um, and I think if there's those off the field leadership issues, it may be best to steer away from that type of quarterback. Okay, fair enough. I was just I, I was just wondering because I it no, doesn't yeah. it didn't make much sense that when they installed Granger like he's good for what he is, but I don't know it, he just doesn't seem to mesh with what Georgia State wants to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, he's by no means a great passer. He can move the ball incredibly well. Um, he's a great young man, uh, uh, incredibly smart, but he just lacks that real accuracy and decision making of a solid quarterback. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, so uh, let's just breeze through this one because there's not a lot to talk about from a Sun Belt perspective. Uh, Texas just absolutely whooped UL Monroe, fifty-two mm-hmm. to ten. Uh, Bijan Robinson showed why he's probably going to be a early second, maybe even a first round, late first round pick uh, come next spring. He had 111 total all purpose yards and two touchdowns uh, as the Longhorns just absolutely rolled the Warhawks. Do you have anything to take away from this game? Because I do not really. This is exactly what I kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, this is what everyone expected. Shout out Chandler Rogers, though. He went 14 for 19, only five incompletions. Um, and, uh, you know, by no means incredible. You'd like to see more uh, volume from him. But as a sophomore, I think that's a great basis for a guy that could, if not this year, over the next two years of his career, uh, turn into a, a a very good quarterback. Sure. Um all right, so let's get into week two and start previewing some of these games. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of games on this slate that I'm looking at where a, t- a Power 5 school is playing a Sunbelt team almost in the complete inverse of what we looked at in week one when we yeah. were previewing. So some of these might be the, not be the longest um, previews in the world just for that yeah. reason. But let's get into the first game. Uh in the noon kickoffs, let's start off. Ohio State is welcoming Arkansas State into Columbus. Um, I'm not sure if you watched Ohio State Notre Dame, um, but that offense for the Buckeyes looks disjointed as all heck. Um, for ha- supposedly having a top five quarterback, you know, or a top five pick at quarterback in the draft, mm-hmm. CJ Stroud for Ohio State did not really impress me last week. I know Notre Dame's defense is supposed to be good, but it was it was ugly all around. Uh, this line's 43 and a half. Based on what I saw last weekend, I'd, ha- I'd have to give it to Arkansas State plus 43 and a half. I just have a hard time seeing Ohio State put up, let's say, what, 60? Yeah. Or, you know, 50 on Arkansas State. Like, the way that they played last weekend, it might be like 42 to 17. Might be yeah. the Despite the win over Notre Dame, I, w- I wasn't as impressed by Ohio State as I could have been. I thought C.J. Stroud could have played a lot better, um, and I think it was more Notre Dame lost that game than Ohio State won it. Um, obviously, Ohio State is going to beat Arkansas State. I'm not going to try to argue that point. But at 43.5, as you mentioned, Arkansas State's going to score 35 points regardless. That's just who they are. So you're asking now Ohio State to score 70-plus. Uh, I'm going to take Arkansas State against the spread. 
but there's no chance they come close to Ohio. No, I, I agree. Um, and it, just as a side note, I kind of think it's a joke that people th- are talking about CJ Stroud in the sort of the same breath as they talk Bryce Young. Um, mm-hmm. Bryce Young is head and shoulders better quarterback than CJ Stroud. Um, all right. So that's, that's pretty much a layup uh, for Ohio State. Um, moving on, another noon kick. Uh, number 16, Miami's going to welcome in Southern Miss. Uh, Miami's a 26 and a half point favorite. I'm actually going to say Miami's probably going to win this game by more than 26 and a half because Southern Miss can't throw the football. Um, so yeah, give me Miami plus points. I think Miami's going to going to run the score up and Southern Miss is just going to keep pounding it away with Frank Gore Jr. or Southern Miss. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know how much that's going to work for them. They, they have no other choice than to run with Gore after we, we just talked about that poor passing performance. Um, Miami allowed Beth, I believe it's Bethune Cook, uh, Cookman last week, only 93 rushing yards. Obviously, when you're down a lot, you're going to be passing more, so that plays a part. But I thought Miami's rush defense uh, played really well, and um, Gore will still have a very uh, volume high game, but I don't know if he's going to drop 150 yards like uh, like he did last week. Funny enough, Frank Gore Jr. also gets to play his dad's alma mater on yep. Saturday. That'll be fun. Um, I don't think it's going to be very fun for the Golden Eagles <laughs> overall. Uh, our last noon Eastern kick, uh, North Carolina is, continues their tour of the Sun Belt. Uh, they will travel to Atlanta Again, for some reason, the Tar Heels are playing two games in a row at Sunbelt Stadiums. But nonetheless, North Carolina is going to take on Georgia State. North Carolina is a seven and a half point favorite. Give me the Tar Heels and seven and a half all day. I think Drake May, as good as Georgia State's defense looked against South Carolina, I think Drake May is going to carve them up. And if Darren Granger has to throw the ball, I think all of those sort of warts that you talked about when you were talking about Georgia State's performance last week are kind of going to rear their head and maybe even be worse because I think North Carolina's offense is more explosive than South Carolina's was. Yeah, I think North Carolina possesses a better uh, roster top to bottom And uh, when we're talking just about how do you beat Georgia State. Uh, they're going to pass the ball really well. Uh, Georgia State played a pretty good defensive game as we talked about earlier, but I there's just no way they can slow down UNC. They played UNC last year and lost by a considerable margin. Um, seven and a half as UNC favorites. That's an easy take for me. Yeah. Uh, one o'clock kickoff. This one's probably going to be one of the closer games of this weekend for the Sun Belt. Uh, South Alabama's traveling to Mount Pleasant, Michigan to take on Central Michigan. Uh, Central Michigan, a four and a half point favorite in this one which I don't know if I see that as really correct. Uh, I I liked what I saw out of South Alabama last week, obviously. I mean, it was an easy layup game. The Chippewas played a pretty good game against number 12 Oklahoma State in week one. It was 58-44, not a lot of defense for either team. Um, I don't know, man. Give me the Jaguars. Like, I, I don't know what to expect when you, when you, when you have a – what is this, a Mac school coming off of a, a shootout against the number 12? Oklahoma State, yeah. I thought Central Michigan, um, and again, this is just 
early season quirkiness that they were able to hang around with Oklahoma State. Um, but uh, I noticed that Central Michigan allowed 406 passing yards last week. So hopefully this will be Jalen Wayne's opportunity to get those 9, 10, maybe 11 catches or targets rather that um, Jalen Tolbert had last year. So um, I, I don't know who I have. I guess if you're forcing me to pick, I'll side with you and take the Jaguars here. But I think this will be a game for Jalen Wayne to really prove to us that he is going to be the keystone of that offense. And if he's not this week, I don't know if he will be at all. Yeah, I think if you're going to bet on this game, the over 58 and a half looks interesting to me because Central Michigan showed that they could throw the football. Uh, South Alabama clearly wants to spread the ball around uh, through the air. So I think this could be a high-scoring game overall. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, 2.30 Eastern time kick. Marshall travels to South Bend, Indiana to take on Notre Dame. Uh, another rough draw from for these Sunbelt schools. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to roll Marshall. Uh, I think defensively they have way too much for Marshall to, to handle on offense, especially without Rasheen Ali. Um, now, now watch. We're recording this on Monday. Watch Rasheen Ali <laughs> return the team on Thursday. Yeah. Um, but no, I even even if they had Ollie, I just don't see a, a way that Notre Dame allows Marshall to even hang around. Yeah, um, Mar- uh, Notre Dame, as we're recording this, is still fifth in the polls. Uh, they just didn't drop today for some reason. I'm guessing because it's Labor Day. Um, so, but this is the best team from a ranking standpoint. Marshall has played since 2010. Um, mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, there's just not a chance they hang around. I think Columby is going to have another efficient game. But uh, what did you say the spread was? Because I'm not liking 20. Marshall in this. 20, I'm not liking Marshall here. No. Uh-uh. Uh, all right, next game, 3.30 kick. App State will travel to College Station to take on Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a 17.5-point favorite, but I'm going to go ahead and put my flag on App State in this game, at least from a spread perspective. I think they keep it within the 17. Uh, Haynes King you for Texas A&M, you can look at the final stat line and say, oh, you know, he threw for 364 and, and all that kind of stuff. He was absolutely awful early against Sam Houston last week. Uh, there were a lot of people on – online making jokes at Haynes King's expense. And I think as as porous, I guess, as App State's pass defense looked last week against North Carolina, I think if you have a, a bad quarterback facing a suspect secondary, I think that App will be able to score enough points to keep this one close. So I don't think they win the game. I think Texas A&M ultimately wins it, but I think they do keep it within the 17th. Yeah, Texas A&M only beat Sam Houston uh, 31 to nothing, And as we talked about with Louisiana, you're just left wondering why. Why was it not by a greater margin? Um, when App State, based on how they played against North Carolina, they are going to drop another 40, 45 points. But I think A&M is fully capable of doing that. Uh, so I've got A&M. However, after last week's performance, you're left wondering why did they not play better and against a better team like App State, will they perhaps have a few more falters that may not end to a loss but lead to a less than exciting um, 
or optimistic performance from the Aggies. Yeah, I think I like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it looks a lot like last week against North Carolina against Texas A&M. I was not impressed by what the Aggies put out there last Saturday. Um, Four o'clock. Let's uh, let's look here. Oh, Norfolk State, welcome to your world. Your world of pain <laughs> continues because you're facing James Madison one week after getting crushed, fifty-five to three by Marshall. Uh, not much to say in this one. No line. No betting lines. James Madison's just going to absolutely roll. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much I can even kind of contribute to talking about this. No, me neither. I uh, we talked about. James Madison might be, especially in these early weeks without Rasheen Ali, better than Marshall. Um, so this could be even uglier than the 55-3 Nor- uh, lost Norfolk State took uh, last week. So not much yeah. to add. James Madison, despite my whatever you want to call it, is starting 2-0. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 6 o'clock, East Carolina takes on Old Dominion. Um I've got East Carolina in this game. East Carolina played uh, number 13 NC State down to the absolute wire uh, in week one. Final score was 21-20, NC State won. But I liked what I saw out of East Carolina. I, again, whatever Old Dominion, whatever sort of voodoo or what have you they put out there to beat Virginia Tech – I, they're not going to do that every single week. They're not going to block kicks and all that kind of stuff. So I think the Pirates run this one. Uh, East Carolina is a 12.5-point favorite. I don't know that they cover that 12.5, but they're going to win the game outright either way. I don't know um, how comfortable I say I can say East Carolina is going to win uh, because I was unimpressed by both teams' offensive performance. Old Dominion put up only 245 offensive yards which is not nearly enough to win a football game. And Eastern uh, Carolina's quarterback, Holton Ehlers, he went 25 for 41 with two interceptions, albeit two uh, touchdowns as well. But I think neither team was overwhelmingly impressive last week. It'll just be who can step up. Um, uh, And I frankly take Old Dominion here, uh, but uh, I think it's just going to be who has a better offensive game. Yeah, like I said, I, I, there was no way to be impressed with what Old Dominion did offensively last week. So I just, if they're carrying that over uh, into this game, I could see East Carolina beating them. Uh, another quick one we can just breeze through: Coastal Carolina welcomes Gardner Webb to Conway. Uh, Coastal Carolina can pretty much just write down the final score of this game and submit it to the scorekeeper because this one's going to get ugly pretty quick. Yeah. Uh... I'd like to see the up an uptick, as we talked about earlier, from McCall. He only passed the ball 17 times last week. So I'd like to see him cross that 20 threshold. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, not not much to say. Coastal is going to win by minimum three scores. For sure. Uh, this one's sort of interesting. Louisiana is welcoming Eastern Michigan to Lafayette. Uh Eastern Michigan's starting quarterback is former Troy quarterback Taylor Powell, also former Missouri quarterback Taylor Powell. Uh, Lafayette, a 12-point favorite. Uh, I I don't know that they cover the 12. They they didn't look good against Southeast Louisiana. Um, No, they didn't look good. Uh, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, however. Uh, 
because it is, as we've said and said again, only one week. So I'm willing to give Louisiana the benefit of the doubt here. But if they don't win, if they don't cover even, uh, I start to raise some real questions about what if DeSormo is the guy in Louisiana or if that talent, if that team lost too much uh, over this offseason. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Michigan in week one played an FCS Eastern Kentucky team and only won by eight, which is not super encouraging. I think Louisiana wins, um, but they, they're just not going to have the same level, it seems, of offensive firepower fireworks that they did last year or the year before. So mm-hmm. there might be a lot of real ugly, low-scoring, grinded-out type games uh, for the Cajuns in the cards this year. Uh, another another quick FCS projected blowout we can roll through. Troy is going to definitely pick up their first win, win of the season. Uh, they play Alabama A&M at home at 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe they figure out some stuff with the run game. I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to see some out of the run game. Uh, but also, I think it's important that their defense holds Alabama A&M to probably no more than 10. Uh, mm-hmm. because that's kind of what this team is predicated on is that defense. So if they let Alabama rack up two or Alabama A&M rather two, three touchdowns, um, you start to question if they obviously they don't have the offense, at least not that we've seen yet, but is that defense also starting to waver? Yeah, for sure. Um, seven, another 7 p.m. Eastern time kick. Texas State is going to welcome Florida International, FIU, to San Marcos. Zeke, hold on to your hat when I tell you this. Texas State is a 13.5-point favorite. Yep. Um, I don't think they should ever be a 13.5-point favorite against anybody. Um, I, I, like, I think Florida International covers. I think Texas State might win the game close, but I was not encouraged by what I saw out of the Bobcats last week. Uh, and I don't think that they should be close to two touchdown favorites against anybody. Uh, FIU is pretty bottom of the barrel, but I, I don't think they're substantially worse than Texas State, you know? So mm-hmm. 13 and a half feels like a lot. Um, neither team had much of a run game last week. Um, and I thought Texas State's defense was not terrible uh obviously 38 points allowed but allowed under 300 offensive yards mm-hmm. um i think it's going to be a very very pass happy game i think the two teams if i'm going to put a number on it i could see both teams combined for over 700 passing yards but texas state wins doesn't cover i'm with you on that okay uh 7 30 p.m eastern kick georgia southern is going to travel to lincoln nebraska to take on the corn huskers um Scott Frost uh this is looking like his swan song as the as the coach of Nebraska um okay Nebraska is a 22 point favorite mm-hmm. which in, in my head I go okay that kind of makes sense except when you sit down and think about the fact that like Nebraska doesn't blow anybody out like they were struggling last week against North Dakota in deep into the third quarter I mean, okay, Zeke, again, once again, hold on to your hat. With four minutes left in the third quarter of that game against an FCS school in North Dakota last week, it was 17-17. to 17. Yeah. Nebraska scored three touchdowns in the last, 
what, 17 minutes of play to make it look like it was a huge blowout of 21 points. But I think Georgia Southern keeps it within three touchdowns, man. I just don't – Nebraska doesn't blow teams out. They just don't. Even when they lose, it's close. When they win, it's close. Yeah. I I was not impressed uh, by their performance against North Dakota. I don't think anybody was. Um, But this is a real – this is Georgia Southern's first real game of the season, I'd say. You know, last week they played Morgan. Um, so I, I don't know. I think they do cover. Uh, I don't think they win. But the crucial thing is just seeing a lot of the same good things we th- saw last week. We want to see a really good secondary from them. We want to see a really good pass rush. We want to see Ventrese continue his efficiency. Um, mm-hmm. So if they can, I, again, they don't expect them to win. But if they can continue those good parts of that team, they're going to uh, project over the next couple of weeks pretty well. Yeah. Um, and and just, uh, I don't think that they're going to upset Nebraska, but if somehow by a miracle they upset Nebraska, you have to imagine Cornhusker fans are just going to have the pitchforks and torches ready at the gates to just run Scott Frost out of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be no coming back from this. Uh, so the last game of the night, eight o'clock Eastern time kick, UL Monroe is probably going to pick up their first win of the season against Nichols. Uh, like we talked about, Nichols took a 41 point beating against South Alabama in week one. Uh, so yeah, not much to talk about here. What you have anything before we sort of wrap up here? Nah, Louisiana Monroe played as well against Texas as Nichols did against South Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that kind of just sums it up really easily. Louisiana Monroe is going to win by a, a couple handful, uh, which will be good for them because I, I believe in Louisiana Monroe and I think a win early in the season can really propel a football team. Okay. So as we sort of wrap up here, do you have any, uh, do you have a game, one single singular game that you're looking forward to within the Sunbelt slate this weekend? <laughs> Obviously, Georgia State, um, just because that's that's who I'm covering. But I think that as ugly as the game may be overall, I think Texas State and Florida International will be the closest game on this slate. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's just because both teams are so bad. But I, th- it'll be a, a comedy of errors, if you will, and uh, <laughs> perhaps perhaps a entertainment uh, through through garbage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and for me, I, I think I'm looking most forward to this Old Dominion East Carolina game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to see if what both of these teams did uh, was a fluke in week one. I want to see if Old Dominion's upset with the way that they scored points and and things, and you know, it eventually ended up coming back was a fluke. I want to see if East Carolina falling by, like I said, a point to the Wolfpack. Uh, in week one was a fluke or not. Uh, so that's what I'm looking most forward to. Uh, Zeke, you know, you know, tell us if you have any uh, sort of wrap-up, last-minute thoughts about week two and tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah. Um, as we started with at the top of the show, this is going to be a very different week for Sunbelt teams. I think across the board, um, only three teams are favored. Obviously, there are a few games without a line. Uh, against really poor schools that uh, Sunbelt teams are going to win regardless. But against real competition, um, 
the Sunbelt teams are going to have a much harder uh, week this week. Um, but with the start of the NFL this weekend, we finally get to officially say it's actually football season. Um, so I, I'm really pumped. I am as well. Zeke, where can po- folks find you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. That's where all of our stories or my stories go. That's where we post about the podcast. Uh, this past week, I apologize to all to both Brian and FCS fans for uh, my miserable take that James Madison would be stomped by Middle Tennessee. Uh, and, you know, hopefully this week, Brian will be tweeting at me with a similar apology for whatever heinous take he had this episode. Uh, Brian, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Watch the Stone. Uh, I don't have any heinous takes, so <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I, I don't know. I, I feel like every every take I've had has been fairly measured. Uh, you were. I, I get that you were you were apologizing, but you really did go out on a limb with like, there's no way James Madison. I middle Tennessee. <laughs> I had no belief in a million years and I was wrong. I was dead wrong. And maybe I'm not cut out for this industry because of it, but I would not have put even a shred of belief in James Madison going into last week. Well, don't worry, Zeke. There's plenty of people in, in the sports industry who, who have <laughs> just lava hot fire takes. And then when they fall through, they just, they they do a lot less sort of credibility check than you've done <laughs> in this episode. So that's going to do it for for this uh, you know wrap up and preview. This has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Mm-hmm.